couple of weeks ago uh, in the sermon I preached, uh, I read for you a story. So this morning I'd like to begin by reading you another story. Yes, once again, it's story time with Uncle Claire. And uh, this particular story is written in the key of F. Okay, so listen carefully. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over his farthings. He flew far to foreign fields and frittered his fortune, feasting fabulously with faithless friends. Finally facing famine and fleeced by his fellows in folly, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famished, he fain would have filled his frame with foraged food from the fodder fragments. Fooey! My father's flunkies fare far fancier, the frazzled fugitive fumed feverishly, frankly facing facts. Frustrated by failure and filled with foreboding, he fled forthwith to his family. Falling at his father's feet, he floundered forlornly. Father, I have flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favor. But the faithful father, forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch forth the finest fatling and fix a feast. The fugitive's fraternal fault finder frowned on the fickle forgiveness of former Falderall. His fury flashed, but fussing was futile. The foresighted father figured, such filial fidelity is fine, but what forbids fervent festivity? For the fugitive is found. Unfurl the flags with flaring. Let fun and frolic freely flow. Former failure is forgotten. Folly forsaken. Forgiveness forms the foundation for future fortune. You figure out what story that was? Prodigal son, yeah, Luke 15. What a wonderful story if you uh, read it in the original language, um, <laughs> or actually the original interpretation. What a wonderful story about God's grace, his forgiveness, uh, that he uh, would accept us back as his father uh, who uh, reaches out to forgive his son. And today, we're gonna to be talking about this idea of forgiveness. Again, going through this sermon series on who am I, and we've come to our third I am statement this morning that we're going to make about who we are in Christ. Um, but before we do that, I want us to review kind of where we've been because each of these uh, sermons are going to build on each other. So if you remember, the first week was I am loved. And we walked through some ideas about how God created me in love, how God loves me even though I disobey him, that as God's child, I am called then to love others. And then last week, uh, Lars helped us explore the idea that I am broken. And as we think about that idea, I am broken, we realize I am broken physically, I am broken relationally, I am broken spiritually. It's all connected. And my brokenness touches then every aspect of my life. And this brokenness that came into the world because of disobedience uh, touches every aspect of the world. Some of the things some of the ways in which I am broken are brought on by other people in my life. I might not even be the cause, but so many of the things in my life, uh, I am broken because of decisions I made, because of things that I did that wound up breaking uh, so many different things in my life. Uh, and so we come up against these things, and yet uh, we realize that in our brokenness, we have a power that's available to us. That through Jesus, we don't have to remain victims uh, in the midst of our brokenness. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, talked about his physical brokenness, that he had a thorn in the flesh. He had something that was plaguing him. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 12 about that. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know what it was. We think it might have been something affecting his eyesight. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For where I am weak, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He means in Christ, he is strong. No, we don't deny our brokenness. We don't pretend that it doesn't exist or that somehow it's okay to be broken. That seems to be a theme in our world and culture today. I'm broken, but hey, that's great. You know? Or I'm broken and it doesn't matter. Or, or all the other things that we say about that. I'm broken and I was, I was made broken. God never intended us to be broken in the first place. Um, but what we realize in the midst of this is that God can use the brokenness in us to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I didn't say that, Paul did. And Lars last week reminded us then that Christ shines through the scars if we let him, if we let him. Which brings us to today. Who am I? Well, I'm someone who's been forgiven. And let's explore that idea together. I want to uh, take a look at, at a writing by the Apostle John in, in 1 John 1, uh, where he, he talks about some of these things that I'd like to pull out for us to think about. This is what he writes. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim then to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So I want us to think about three different ideas this morning as, as we walk through this together. The first is this. I am forgiven through the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven through the blood of Jesus. That's what John is telling us. He says, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Forgiveness can only be found in and through Jesus. He died on the cross to pay the price for the sin, for the consequences of the sin that I had committed, that we had all committed, that we as a people uh, have committed. Forgiveness then is found only in him. Isaiah the prophet writes this in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And then just a verse later, Isaiah recognizes and acknowledges that we stand guilty before God when he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. So one of the ugly truths that we have to acknowledge about ourselves is that we are all sinners. That's why John says, if you deny that, then you're lying. If you deny that the truth is not in you, he says. We are disobedient traitors who have turned our backs on God. We have wandered away from him like a bunch of wayward sheep. And if you've ever had anything to do with sheep, you know what that looks like. Because they do wander away. And that's what we have done. We have wandered away from him. Instead, through the blood of Jesus, uh, God wants us to lay our guilt, our sin, at the foot of the cross and walk away free. Free to walk in the light of God, as John tells us, to walk in his light. Uh, but there's a problem that continues to plague me. I mean, that is a reality. The truth is that Jesus went to the cross and died for me, and all my sins are forgiven. All the sins I've ever committed, all the sins of the past, all the sins that I presently might be involved in, and all the sins of the future, he covered it all. Okay, when I come to him, my position with him is sealed by his spirit that he places in me. I have a promise and a place in heaven, and I look forward to that, and nothing can take me out of his hand, the Apostle Paul tells us. And so we rest in this reality, and yet we need to be careful in terms of what we think of when it comes to this rest. And so it brings us to a second idea here, and that is I am forgiven even though I continue in sin. And you might think for a second, wait a minute, how does that work? Now why is it that when I come to Christ and this happens that I, that I would continue in sin? Why, I thought I'd leave sin behind. I thought it would be a simple thing uh, just to now live for God all the time. And I would lay wager to say that every last one of us in here has found that that's not true. But even though we've come to Christ, even though you may have, and maybe you haven't yet, and this is kind of new news to you, but even though we come to Christ, that doesn't mean we're not plagued by sin any longer. So how does that work? Well, John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John here is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already accepted Jesus as their savior. And yet he says to them, we still need to confess our sins. We still need to rely upon and remember that God will forgive us, that he will purify us. So why confess? I mean, why, why should we be telling God if he's already died for, sent Jesus to die for my past sins, my present sins, and all my future sins, why can't I just go on then and, and not worry about it? Why does John say if we confess our sins? Well, it isn't because God has not yet forgiven our future sins. We've already said he has, or that somehow he didn't realize that we had sinned and we have to remind him, hey, God, I just sinned. Just wanted you to know in case you weren't paying attention. No, he knows. Our confession then is a reminder to us that we are sinners. It is an agreement with God of what he has done, that we have been forgiven. Our confession keeps us then from falling into complacency regarding our sin. It keeps us walking in the light, as John says. 
Because the truth is, we tend to fall back into our sinful ways. Now, how many Christians have we known, or maybe we've lived this ourselves, where you come to that day where you're baptized into Christ, and you come up out of the water, and you think, yes, this is the greatest moment of my life, and it truly is. That I'm gonna live for him always and ever, and I'm gonna serve him now, and I'm gonna be different than I was. A few months later, what do we find? We look in the mirror and we see the same person that was there before Christ came along. We've fallen back into doing the same old things. We, we become complacent about it and, 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 and we think, well, yeah, I know I'm, I'm doing these things, and, but, but God forgives me. You know, I, I, I understand how it works and that, but it's just, it's just too hard. And it is hard. It is hard as we face that. Our confession reminds us that God is faithful and just, that he forgives and purifies us, not just from some of our, some of our unrighteousness, but all of our unrighteousness, unrighteousness, unright living. He does it all. And unless we become then complacent, unless, you know, we can't come to the point where we think God just loves to forgive and so I'm just gonna give him all kinds of things to forgive. You know, uh, Paul speaks to that. He says in Romans 6, these words, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? In other words, do we just let God's grace flow because we'll give him lots to forgive? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The old life is dead, he's saying. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. Live a new life. That's what he saved us for. We are forgiven so that we can live a new life, or as John says, so that we can walk in the light as God is in the light. And again, this is through the power of God's spirit at work within us. We can choose to say no to sin. Now, this doesn't mean that walking in the light or putting sin behind us is easy again. Temptation seems to be always there. You know, Satan and his minions throw stuff in our path and even if they weren't there, our own sinful nature draws us back to those sinful things that we practiced before. But we have something to combat that. That's God's spirit that he places within us. The power of his spirit, if we will let him, again, he's not a, a spirit that forces his way in our lives, but one that always is calling to us trying to help us, and if we let ourselves be used by him, his power is released within us, and we can face, yes, even the most difficult of temptations and have victory. So what does the Spirit then use in our lives? What kinds of ways does he work? What, what power is seen in the different things that, that we, we can do 
to conquer sin. There's, there's several things. I want to mention a couple of things. We call them sometimes disciplines, and I think sometimes we relegate them almost to, well, these have to become habitual. Yeah, I wish they were habitual in all of our lives, but the truth is we don't just do them to do them. Uh, in doing these things, uh, we draw closer to God, and his spirit comes alive within us. And so I want to share a couple of those that are obvious to us uh, when we look at what does the spirit use? Um, the spirit then is going to use God's word. That's what Paul tells Timothy when he says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word, as we read it, God speaks to us. Jesus told his followers, he says, when I leave, uh, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, he calls him, the Holy Spirit will come and, and be with you, and he will remind you of everything that I have taught you. Again, in order for the Spirit to remind us of what Jesus taught, we have to know what Jesus taught. And so it comes back to that. I know, you know preachers have, have stomped up and down on this for years and years. You've got to read the Bible, but it's so true. It's God's words for us. God breathed. It's God's words for us teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, all these things that God can bring to our lives so that we can live the new life, so that we can walk in the light as God is in the light. How can we walk in his light if we don't know what it is? And so the Bible helps us understand and shares with us that light of God. A second thing is the Spirit also uses prayer in our lives. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we should pray continually. Two simple words, pray continually. Now, and you think, well, what does that mean? Do we, all, we should all be walking around. Okay, God, now I'm walking across the stage, and okay, God, I'm gonna turn and look at everybody, and then, God, I'm gonna walk back. No, it's not that sort of thing. But we're in this state of, of inviting God in and speaking to him about everything and everything uh, as we go including him and knowing he is, is with us. And in prayer then, God can speak to us. It's more than just me running down through my laundry list of things that, uh, here's what I want you to do for me, God. But rather it's opening myself up to be honest with him. It's interesting when uh, I have counseled different couples. You know, one of the places uh, that, that men and women are the most honest is when they pray together, especially dudes you know, because I find that, that, that most guys realize when they're talking to God, what are you going to hide from God? You got to be honest, right? He knows us. He knows our very thoughts. And so when we come to him and we pray to him, it's a point at which you can't fake it with God. You can't pretend. You can't lie. You can't somehow think that he doesn't know. And it's one of the reasons why I think so many of us don't pray is because when you pray, you got to get honest with him. But when you do, and you allow him then to speak in your lives and you call out to him to help you in different situations, he will, by the power of his spirit, begin to help you walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another as we all do that together. The spirit also then uses the power of other followers of Jesus in our lives, our friends and family who are believers, who walk beside us. The importance of Christian friends that you can be real and honest with 
James tells us in the Bible that there were some in his day who were sick because of the sin in their lives. It had actually brought about physical illness for them. And he writes then in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Again, the power of prayer there, but there's also the accountability of Christian friends. And that's what's so powerful in a life group or a group. I have a, a group of guys that we meet together. Peter's part of my group. And, and man, when we meet and we can talk and we can be honest, we tell each other about our lives. And it's all, it's not all perfume and roses, I'll tell you. I mean, it's, you know, you get real and you talk about things you're struggling with. And we, and we center it around the word and we do some other things in there and we pray. But this is what he's talking about. You need this in your lives and the spirit works through that. And so we are forgiven even though we continue in sin, but we are called to leave that sin behind. Which brings us to a last idea and that's, that's this. I am forgiven and I'm called to Forgive. I am forgiven and I'm called to forgive. One of the most important teaching stories Jesus uses regarding this truth is found in Matthew 18. And I wanna read this for you so that you can hear it in Jesus' words, how important he thinks this is. So let me get, he sets the stage here, the situation. So then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now realize, Peter thought, He'd picked a big number. I mean, think about it. If someone does something to you once, you say, okay, that hurt, but I forgive you. Someone does it again, okay, I forgive you. Third time, fourth time, fifth time. You know, about the sixth time, aren't you gonna be thinking, I'm never letting them do that. I'm, in, I'm getting them out of here. So Peter thinks, pretty big, seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or some Translation says 70 times seven, which is a bigger number. You know, now what, what is Jesus trying to say here? You know, is the sort of thing where he's saying, okay, Peter, it's a bigger number than you think, but get your little notebook out so that when someone does something to you, you can forgive them. So, you know, Larry, you know, harms me in some way. And I say, I say okay, Larry, I forgive you. That's one. And he does it again. Okay, Larry, that's two. And I got my little book. And every time Larry does that, okay, Larry, that's 450. You know, okay, Larry, we're getting, we're getting there, Larry. It's getting, until I finally reach 70 times seven. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, you're not gonna do that. Basically, what he's saying is every time, all the time, you forgive those who have harmed you in some way, just like your heavenly father does, right? What if he kept a little notebook of us and when we got to 70 times seven, he go, oh, you're done. I, I tell you what, most of us would get there. But he doesn't. Jesus is, what he's really saying is, we keep no record of that, of how many times. And then he decides to explain it with this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold, he would never have been able to pay in 100 lifetimes. This is an incredible amount, uh, what this guy owes, uh, 10,000 bags of gold. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. A pittance compared to what that guy had owed. Only a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Why do you think the disciples and Peter's reaction was to that? And this is what your heavenly father will do to each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Do you think this is important to Jesus? Do you think God has expectations of us regarding the forgiveness we have received and our forgiveness of others? And we're not just talking about, you know, this idea when we talk about forgiveness, because I know it's not this just, you know, casual forgiveness. Oh, yeah, okay, I forgive you, you know. Uh, It's not even the other side of that. Say, oh, you know, well, we forgive and forget. I expect people to forgive and forget. Um, People often use this phrase, and I believe uh, they tend to think that forgiveness means that we act like it never occurred or that it never happened or that it doesn't have any consequences or somehow it doesn't matter, which is a lie, and we understand it to be a lie if you really think about it because when someone harms us, we feel it deeply, especially if it's of great harm. You know, something that that leaves huge scars maybe in our lives. What are we to do with that? And yet, Jesus is saying we're called to forgive. When our boys were young, we had to teach them how how to say they were sorry and how to ask for forgiveness. It's funny, but it just didn't come naturally to them. You know, as most things don't to kids. And, and so when one of them would, would harm the other one, you know, I don't know, smack him or take something of theirs or do whatever it was, and, and we would get involved in the middle of it, we would, we would come and we'd say, okay, you need to come over to your brother and you need to say, I'm sorry for, and then name whatever the thing was. And then the response to the injured party, we told them was, I forgive you. Not, that's eh, okay. Or uh, it didn't really matter. I didn't like that toy anyway. Or, or whatever it was. We don't, we don't just fob it off. And yet, how often I know I have done that. Someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm so sorry that da-da-da-da. And I get a little embarrassed and I say, oh, no big deal. Wrong answer. Sin always has consequences. There's always harm that's done. And what we need to say, what needs to be said in the midst of that is I forgive you. It's what God says to us. And again, it's not some discipline thing that we do where we say, okay, God says I'm supposed to forgive you, so I'm gonna be the better person. 
I'm going to forgive. I forgive you, you know. No. We humbly forgive because like the people in the story that Jesus told, the servant, we remember what God has forgiven us, you know. In this case, it was these bags of gold versus, you know, a little bit of silver. But we remember that, and so we forgive. And I think about it, why did that, you know, what was the relationship between that king and his, his first servant that owed all the money? Do you think he loved him? I think he must have, because that kind of forgiveness, I think, can only come if there's some level of, of love and care uh, that's there between the king and the servant. And isn't that the truth between us and God? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's not that, you know, well, God was displeased with everybody and everything, and, and he thought, well, this might be a way to fix that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die, will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where the forgiveness came from. And, it, and if God did that for us, what's his expect, expectation of us? Now, I know there's been people in my life who've harmed me in some way, and I find it really hard to conjure any kind of love for them. Even if I've said the words, I forgive you, it can be difficult, but I think God wants us to get there. And we could, that's another sermon we could talk about, you know, so how do I get there? I, you know, if I start praying for them, you know, it's hard to pray for somebody, for the welfare of somebody and dislike them. But there's a lot of different ways that, that these relationships can build and God can use these things uh, to create something beautiful in our lives. And so again, we're called to forgive. Uh, another aspect of this is that forgiveness doesn't mean that the offending person uh, never has, or, you know, the offending person, if they don't ask for forgiveness, then you're off the hook. In other words, what I'm saying is, you say, well, I'd forgive them if they'd say they're sorry. Have you ever said that? I mean, I have. It's not right. I'd forgive them if they'd apologize. That's not how it works. Is that what God did with us? No. He sent Jesus to die even before we had even had a thought about how we had, had betrayed him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture tells us. And so the forgiveness that we bring is something that we bring even if that person never asks for forgiveness, never says they're sorry. We still forgive, it's up to them you know, what they're gonna do on the other end of that. And those are hard truths. Another thing is, when we say that we forgive someone, it doesn't mean then that there aren't consequences. Sin always has consequences. You realize that? From the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see that, that sin has consequences. And so it's not, you know, sometimes I know people think that, okay, well, I've forgiven you, or, or you forgave me, you know, and now things can go back to the way they were. And we'll pretend that it never happened. And it doesn't work that way. There's always consequences, maybe minor, maybe small, but there are things change. Now, again, with the power of God and his spirit, that doesn't mean that God doesn't build something beautiful even out of the ashes of that thing that happened. But it doesn't mean necessarily that things are gonna go back to the way they once were. 
Does that make sense? So we need to see God forgives us and he calls us to be people who forgive. The church, and when I say church, I mean all of us, the people who, who believe in Jesus, the church should be the greatest group of forgivers in the world. Grace, when it can't be found anywhere else, has to be found here. Where we forgive those who have harmed us. And that forgiveness says, I'm not gonna demand payback. I'm not gonna hold you accountable for this thing you've done. And we're gonna move on from this to see now what God can build and what things can be in his light as we walk in his light. So forgiveness is the foundation of God's restoration plan for humanity. God's grace is greater than all our sin, as the song says. And like the father in the story of the prodigal son, God meets us in the driveway with arms wide open to hug us in his forgiving embrace. And like the father in that story, he expects the older brother, the one who is already home, to forgive as well. By the way, isn't it interesting in that story? Who was that story written to? You ever thought about that? We, we read that story of the prodigal son and we always focus on the younger brother because the story, the major part of the story holds with him. But the context of that story is that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw that Jesus was hanging around with sinners and tax collectors, you know, worse than sinners, tax collectors, and he was eating meals with them. And they muttered and said, what's he doing hanging around with sinners? And Jesus tells this story. So who's his audience? The Pharisees and the tax collectors. Who are they in the story? The older brother. The point of the story is really more towards the older brother in terms of Jesus' audience. The truth of the story, which is wonderful, is this wonderful um, um, juxtaposition where, uh, of the father and the son who wanted his inheritance and goes off and squanders it and comes back. And we think, yeah, that's us in the story. You know, that Jesus has wrapped us up and he loves us and, and, and all this has happened. But we had to be careful that we don't become the older brother, right? That we don't become the ones who having, you know, never left the father maybe, or having been forgiven by the father, now we're unwilling to forgive others. And so there is this reality again that like the father in the story, he expects the older brother, the one who is already home, to forgive as well. The band We the Kingdom wrote a song. It was entitled Holy Water. It's playing on the radio. If you listen to radio these days, I do. Uh, and the lyrics of the chorus capture so well what God's forgiveness means to us or what it should mean to us. Uh, and so they write, your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips, like the sound of a symphony in my ears, like holy water on my skin. And then at the bridge, they say this line, it's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. What a powerful, powerful reality. Who are you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you can honestly and powerfully say, I am forgiven. Let's bow together in prayer.
Father, as we, as we pause and we think about this, this truth of, of your forgiveness, uh, so foundational and yet uh, so easy for us to take for granted, may we never, never do that, Father. Uh, may we rest in the reality of your forgiveness. Uh, may, we, may we feel it, know it, share it with those around us. May we be, Father, a family of grace that offers forgiveness to all those around us. And Father, we know that we can only accomplish all of this through, again, through the power of your spirit at work within us. We praise you, Father, and it's in the name of Jesus that we go out to share your grace. Amen.